All right, before today's show, I want to talk directly to you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. I know you're out there. I see you out there. You want to start your business. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what pieces are missing. You're not sure how to find deals. You're not sure how to raise money. You're not sure how to structure your business. Who's supposed to be in it? What do they do? What are the roles involved? And how does that all work? And how do you scale it eventually? Well, listen, I've got you covered. I know this is a huge problem and I know you're struggling with it. And I have a solution. It's called the Business Fast Track Blueprint. It's a program that I put together. It's four weeks and it's designed to quickly get you off the starting blocks and get your business off the ground and running with a plan, a blueprint of how to create that business and turn it into something that gets you to your goals. If you want to find out more, it's Starting soon, you can go to Business Fast Track Blueprint. Go there, check it out, businessfasttrackblueprint.com. Sign up, be there. I want to see you on the inside of this program. I want to help you get your business off the ground and get you off to the races in 2021. Go check it out. One of the advantages that a single family landlord will tell you is that they spread their exposure or their risk of a certain area kind of turning bad, like people moving out or the jobs in that area going away, you, you sort of spread that risk out. So you might have rentals in different counties of your market. You might have rentals in different cities, spread it out even more. You might even have single family rentals in different states to really spread it out so that no given area can kill your entire portfolio. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me. I see you out there. I know you're struggling. You're trying to figure this crazy real estate thing out. Well, I got you covered. I'm here every single week, twice a week, to help you do just that. Figure this thing out and help you move into profitability and scale and leaving your job if that's your goal. And these Q&As that I do on Facebook are a real uh, treasure trove of questions from you guys that I'm answering to try to help you with the things that you're struggling with. And this week was a good one. We talked about overcoming your fears, tips for starting a new real estate business and finding your purpose because sometimes people sort of like brush off this whole like, oh, what's my purpose? And it sounds very fluffy, and and but there is something there. You need to figure out what it is you're trying to accomplish in life so that this tool, this real estate vehicle that you're trying to create so you know it's taking you to where you wanna go. That's really how I look at purpose, right? It's not like, oh, what's my purpose on earth? Like it could be, and maybe that's what your purpose is, but it doesn't have to be this like meditative sort of, you know, new age thing. It's like, hey, I want time with my family. I want financial freedom. I want to call my own shots. I want to get out of this crazy rat race. Well, real estate's a vehicle and it helps me get there. So your purpose is your family. It's time, time back in your life, uh, having this sense of financial freedom and, and real estate's a vehicle. So you need to figure out what it is that's motivating you to get into real estate to begin with. And, and that way it'll help you stay engaged and excited and move forward when things get tough. So anyways, that's some of the stuff that we talk about in this Q&A and I'm excited about it. One more time, I want to remind you guys, I shouldn't say one more time, I'm going to remind you again, but I want to remind you again this week to go to and check out my new program, the Business Fast Track Blueprint. It is a four-week uh, blueprint course to give you the blueprint 
to either starting or scaling your business. So go check it out. I'm excited about it. I am going to help a ton, ton of people over the next 12 months, and I want you to be one of them. You cannot afford to miss this. So go check it out, businessfasttrackblueprint.com, and get involved. I want to see you there. All right, guys, let's dive into this Q&A. Guys, welcome. Thank you for coming to uh, my Q&A. My live Q&A happens every Wednesday at 7 o'clock Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. Um, we answer your questions. I answer your questions. There's no we. It's just me. I answer your questions. But you guys send me questions. You DM me. You email me. You send them through text. You send them through Facebook Messenger, uh, Instagram. It's all good. I get them all and I kind of curate those. And if I get a lot of similar questions, I combine them and make kind of one, you know, kind of coherent question that covers a lot of different questions that I get. Um, but please feel free to uh, send me questions here in the chat. Uh, I am going to actually click on here so I can see all of you guys. Okay, there we are. Okay, and then as you guys fill in, like I said, you can ask questions and uh, let me know what your questions are that you have for me and I'll answer them for you. Uh, I'm going to probably, I should get to all of them. I normally get to all of them, but if for some reason you have a question that doesn't, I don't get to it, still ask if, if you think we're winding up and you have a question, like ask me if I don't get to it, we still hang on to those and we ask them the following or we answer them the following week. So, um, feel free to go ahead and do that and, uh, kind of waiting for everyone to pile in here. I know I just got started. Um, here we go. Uh, okay. All right. I am going to start by answering some questions. Uh, some of the ones that I've gotten through DMS and Facebook messages and uh, email and things like that. Uh, I wrote a couple of them down here. So I'm going to start with this one. Uh, cause it's interesting, uh, single family and this person, I think they want to invest, uh, as a landlord, they want to do landlord stuff. So they're asking me single family versus multifamily investing. And the question is what is better? Okay. Uh, it depends, right? It, it, neither one is better. So I've also been told that I give long answers. And then at the end, I'll say short answer and I'll just give a really short, concise answer and that I should do it in reverse. So I'm going to do it in reverse. The short answer is neither one is better. Um, the longer answer though, and the one that I think maybe this person is asking me for is what is the difference? I think when, when in this case, when you say what's better, what is the difference is probably a better, more appropriate answer for me to give. Um, and here's the real, like, there's a lot of that. We could talk about this literally all night for hours. Um, but I'll give you sort of my opinion, the cliff notes of this. If you're, especially if you're a new investor, this will hopefully make a lot of sense to you. If you're a seasoned investor, um, you may already know what I'm about to say, but maybe not. So for single family investing, right? As far as rentals, okay. Versus multifamily. The biggest difference is, uh, and the argument that a single family uh, landlord, uh, single family rental investor, the, the argument they will have for single family investing a lot of times is a couple of things. Number one, people who have their own house, not an apartment, but their own house with their own backyard, their own garage, potentially their own basement and their own things. It feels more like a long-term place to live. It feels like a home where you could imagine staying and raising kids and you know they have their own private maybe backyard and and they have a basement that they don't share and it's you know there's more storage in a, in a house a lot of times 
Um, so from a, from a tenant standpoint and from a landlord's perspective, thinking about what does a tenant want and what will make a tenant stay longer, that privacy of the yard, the privacy of like the basement and the garage and, and that kind of stuff is huge. The other thing is when you have a bunch of single family rentals, as opposed to multifamily, like apartment buildings, one of the advantages that a single family landlord will tell you is that they spread their exposure or their risk of a certain area kind of turning bad, like people moving out or the jobs in that area going away. You, you sort of spread that risk out. So you might have rentals in different counties of your market. You might have rentals in different cities, spread it out even more. You might even have single family rentals in different states to really spread it out so that no given area can kill your entire portfolio because you're spread out, right? Even if it's just in different counties, like there could be even cities inside of these counties that just for whatever reason, go through a downturn, right? Economic downturn for whatever reason. So if all your rentals are in that one city, you're in trouble. If you spread them out, you can always like spread out that risk. Now, a multifamily person, and that's again, why the single family landlord would say, I don't want an apartment building with a hundred units in this town, because what happens if something happens in that town and, it, and, the, and that town is not desirable to live in down the road, like all of my units are in the same place. So when that town goes kind of bad or whatever, the economic downturn, uh, all of my rentals, my entire portfolio could be affected. And that's that's valid. Um, I think what uh, uh, the argument on the other side, what the multifamily uh, would, would tell you, the multifamily landlord would tell you is, yes, uh, we are all in one place. However, that also means we only have one roof a lot of times, or we only have one or two, you know, sets of mechanical systems, and and there's just the economy of scale is so much better uh, when you're dealing with a, a, like one building that has several units in it. And they would also tell you a multifamily person who's into multifamily rentals would tell you, you know, if I have a hundred units, a hundred unit apartment building, and ten of them go vacant. Like that's only 10% of my rent that I lose. Whereas a single family person, if they lose rent, they're losing all of their rent for that, that, for that house until they get a new, a new, a new tenant in there. So um, there's less ups and downs. I think the multifamily, the, the apartment building uh, landlord would tell you there's less ups and downs in terms of the volatility of, you know, the, of the vacancies. Um, the other thing they would tell you, I think a multifamily, someone who is pro multifamily would tell you, unlike a, a single family, a multifamily unit, the value of it is valued differently, right? There's no argument there. Um, but you can raise the value by simply raising rents. So if you buy a multifamily unit, a multifamily apartment building, and you raise all of the rents by you know, $100, like you've effectively raised the value of that entire building, that entire investment significantly. You can't just raise the rents on a single family rental and make the house worth more. It's not, it doesn't work that way. The house is worth what it's worth. It has nothing to do with the cash flow, right? The net operating income. In an apartment building, it does. So that's a little bit, a little bit deeper into like 
how you value them and how you raise the value. Um, and you can also raise the value in an apartment by actually fixing up the apartment, like fixing up the units, doing renovations, just like you can in a house. But it's just at the end of the day, when you say, what are these two things worth? Uh, apartment buildings have a different value structure, valuation structure than a single, than a single family. Um, for me, I've always invested in single family. I don't invest in multifamily currently. I, it's something I'm going to do in the future. I'm quite certain of that. But I, I chose single family. It felt more um, doable for me when I was starting out. It felt just a little bit more attainable. And I'm not saying multifamily is not attainable when you're starting out. It certainly is. You can definitely do it. But for me, I, it felt more attainable to do um, to do single family. It just I understood what a single family house was. It all seemed more within my my reach than a multifamily, and I, and I think that was wrong. I mean, I, I definitely could have done multifamily, but I think that's a lot of times why people start with single family. They're just dealing with something they understand. They they probably have lived in a house or do live in a house, and they get it. They understand how a house works and how to you know find out what a house is worth and how to find what the rent should be, and it just seems like an easier thing for them. So. Um, that is why, or that's the difference, right? So which is better? It depends. It depends on which side of the argument you're on. Do you want to have, you know, these smaller units spread out, spread that risk out a little bit and make sure that no one area going bad is going to hurt you? Or are you more about like, let's get my investment all in one place. So we're not driving all over or in different counties or even different States. And let's have it all in one place so that we can just deal with one roof and one furnace or whatever, right? we can just deal with everything right in one place. Um, you know, that's, that's some of the, the differences. So it really depends on what you want. And single family obviously is less money involved for sure. Multifamilies are going to be more expensive. So a lot of times you're going to, you're going to want to bring in financing or partners or other like private investors who are going to go in on that with you a lot of times. Um, you know, you can do the same thing you do a single family where you might do like a creative financing with, uh, with the owner of the property, the seller, you can do the same thing with an apartment building. There's people, you know, definitely buy apartment buildings on terms with a seller who maybe doesn't owe anything or, and they just own or finance it, right? That's, that's a possibility too. So there's creative ways you can buy houses and apartment buildings, which goes back to my original point of, I could have done either. Knowing what I know now, looking back, I could have done either. I just chose to go single family, but um, those are the pros and the cons. All right, here we go. Let's see. Um, so a question from last week uh, from uh, Raymond. Hi, Mike. At what point do you recommend hiring a coach? It's a great question. <laughs> you know, okay, the, I'm going to go the short answer, long answer uh, correction or the recommendation that I got. The short answer is as soon as possible. Like, I really think you should get help building your business or scaling your business as soon as possible. Most people will try to do it on their own. I, I did. Most people will try to figure it out. They'll try to Google search. They'll get on you know, YouTube, whatever. They'll, they'll do local meetups. They'll try to get their, their questions answered. And I did that. And just take it from a guy who did that for about six years. I went to meetups. <clears throat> I did Google searches. I didn't really use YouTube that much, but now it's, it's more prominent. So YouTube is something that's in play. I did that and I had limited success. I had some success. But it really took a long time. I made a lot of mistakes. My mindset and my belief systems and what I thought was possible was completely broken. Even when I was starting to flip and having some success, it was all broken and I didn't even know it. And nothing really significantly changed for me and my business, like on a big 
in a big way, like at scale. Nothing changed until I got help. And for me, it was joining a mastermind. Uh, I joined the Seven Figure Flipping Mastermind. It's a mastermind that I talk about. I've talked about it on this Q&A. We just a couple of weeks ago where we were in Cancun with some of the members. Um, that environment was critical for me to understand and to, to get my mind right on, on how to actually build a business because I, I finally had access to people that, were, that had built legitimate, strong, solid foundation businesses that I wanted to have. They had the same, they had the exact business that I wanted to have. And it wasn't until I got into that mastermind and I started talking to the coaches who were in that mastermind, some of the people leading that mastermind to understand how to actually build a business. And you know, there's two ways you can build a business, in my opinion, or there's two ways that people go about building a business, I should say. They go about building it on their own with no help and trying to figure it out. That's the slow way to do it, which a lot of times, I, I would say mo the mo majority of the time, most of the time, ends in limited success or failure somewhere in there, right? Like not exactly what they wanted or just total failure. The other way they do it is they do like put a lot of energy into it. They put a massive action and they really go for it and they start building it, but they're building it on like a deck of like a house of cards. They're not really building a solid foundation. They don't understand how to run a company or how to run a business. And so it scales up a little bit, but the foundation's bad and it crumbles. And the reason why I know these are two ways to do it is because I've done both. I've done the slow kind of limited success, not really successful like I want it to be. And then I've built it fast before I knew what I was doing and had to go back and like, if you ever, if you're a real estate investor watching this, and I, I would guess a lot of you are real estate investors or want to be real estate investors, the easiest time to make the foundation strong on a house is when you're pouring it or when you're building the house. It's not after the house is built. It's very difficult to redo the foundation on a house that's built. And, and so I, I, that's what I did. I built my house and the foundation wasn't great. I had to go back and fix it. So I know that's what happens when you hire a coach, when you join a mastermind, when you do those things, take that step. And, and listen, it's usually, it's not going to be free. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost something, right? Depending on the mastermind, depending on the coach, um, it can be actually quite expensive, but it's all relative. Okay. Um, you know, some people might think it's expensive to spend hundred dollars on cable or, you know, $75 on, on internet. But if you work from home, for example, and you need the internet and that's how you make money, that $75 bill is not expensive because that $75 is allowing you to make thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, whatever it is, whatever you, you're making in your business. So I look at it as like coaching and, and masterminds, that's an expense um, to my company, but it's also an investment, right? I look at it as an investment in me and an investment in my education. And there's really no arguing at this point. There's a lot of you know clever comparisons with Michael Jordan and he had a coach and like, if he needs a coach, who doesn't need a coach, right? I mean, we've all heard those comparisons. I think it's beyond arguing that if you really want to move forward faster and you really want to understand what it takes to build a business successfully and, and from people who have done it, the best way to do it is to get help from somebody who's, who's been there, right? To join a mastermind, to have a coach, mentor somebody. Like that's the best way to do it. So the question of how soon do I do it? Like at what point do you recommend hiring a coach? You can either do it after you've tried and, and had limited to no success on your own, or as soon as you think that you might 
need some help, like get help. Like that's when you do it. Uh, if I could do it all over again, I know I've talked about this. It's not something I've kept a secret. If I would have gotten help immediately when I wanted to get into real estate, which by the way, I, I sat on the sidelines for five years, like made zero money and took zero action for five years. And then for the next six years or so, I did it on my own with, with no help. I mean, my wife and I were, were doing it as a team, but we had no help from the outside. We had nobody really who knew what they were doing, helping us in a big way. Um, and so if you take those first five years where I was sitting on the sideline and the next five or six years where I was sort of trying to figure it out all on my own, and then you look at what I've made in the six years, the third half of my career, I guess, um, I've left millions, like, like $3 million probably on the table by not getting help sooner. So when, when should you do it? Like the minute you decide you're serious and you really want to have this business and you really want to move forward and you want to buy speed and you want to skip a lot of the landmines that you're going to step on along the way, because you will. If you want to avoid those landmines and get to your goal faster and with less mistakes, I'm not saying you won't make mistakes and you won't have challenges. You will for sure. But if you want to minimize all that, and like I always say, if you want to use other people's hindsight as your foresight, then you need a coach right now. If you're like, I'm good. I think I can figure this out. Like, I'm just going to try to do it. Go for it. But when it doesn't work, or if it doesn't work, you, then you need to look, you need to get help. And I, and I think most people, for most people, that should be right away. If you can, if you just can't for whatever reason, then, then by all means, try to figure it out. But I think if you can, and you're wondering if you should, the answer is yes, you should. You 100% should. There's no question in my mind you should. Everybody needs help and everybody needs a coach. I've, I've done it. I've built my business. It's successful. I, I still get help. I still get coaching. I still get people in my life that, are, that I look to for advice when I need advice. So that's the super long part of it. That's a super long answer. Um, uh, let's see. Ba, 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 ba. Let's see. Bill, is it real deal? Okay. So Nick is saying Bill Allen of Seven Figure Flippers is the real deal. Great members also. You're right, Nick. Um, Bill Allen is the real deal. Bill Allen is a super close friend of mine. He's definitely one of my best friends. Um, he's a great example of someone who had no business when he started the seven-figure group, seven-figure flipping mastermind. He had no business to speak of. And uh, he exploded his business. He built a strong business. He looked at people who were already doing it. And he just applied the things that they were doing. Same thing I did, right? Business... Forget real estate, just business in general. It doesn't have to be recreated. You don't have to figure it out. It's already been figured out by other people before you. Talk to them, find them, find out what they did and just replicate it. Like totally do what they did. If you want to make tweaks or improvements, go for it. But just understand if you see a, if you have a success formula in front of you and then you decide to tweak it and it doesn't work, that's on you. You didn't do what they told you to do. I suggest do exactly what other people tell you that they did. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work as well as it did for them. Then you tweak it. Then you make adjustments and try to figure out how to make it fit your situation. But uh, Bill did it. I did it. Everybody in Seven Figure Group did it pretty much. We just followed other people's formulas and, and had success. Okay. Uh, next question here in the chat. What are some of the tips to overcoming your fears? So... We're, we all have fears, obviously. Everyone is scared of, is, is afraid of something. Um, 
And I think when it comes to business, whether it's growing or starting a, a company, you know, most people's fears are revolve around money or reputation, meaning they don't want to look stupid. They don't want to fall on their face. They don't want to not hit their goals and have everyone think they're a failure. Like that's the fear or, and maybe, or they're just straight up afraid of losing money. So when it comes to real estate, like any business, some money is needed to get started. And it, and it depends on how you go about it, how fast you want to get to your goal, how much time you have. Um, but there's going to be some level of financial output or, you know, there's some money going out somewhere. Um, even if you're just, you know, forming an LLC or, um, you know, whatever. I mean, there's some money that's going to go out. Certainly when you buy a house, if you're going to flip it, you know, there's money involved there. If you're going to buy rentals, there's money involved there. If you want to be a wholesaler and you think there's no money involved there, wrong. For the most part, you're going to spend something uh, on marketing. Uh, it may not have, does have to be a lot, but there's something involved there. Um, and, but that's, you know, that's the thing. Like, how do you overcome those fears? Like have a reason that you're doing it that's bigger than the fear than that's holding you back. And most people will point to money. They'll say money, something about money is why they're building their business. And while that's true on the surface, that's not the real reason. The real reason could be they need money so they can maybe quit their day job so that they can go to their kids' school events or they need money because one of their parents are sick or in need of you know, care and they want to be able to buy a bigger house or whatever so they can bring them in and take care of them. Like there's a lot, or you know, you just want more money so that you can pay off your debt and not have that stress on your brain. Like there's always something beneath the surface of money. It's not money, like, like a dollar bill, a hundred dollar bill, a bag of money, the, that piece of paper doesn't make you feel good. It's what it can do for you. And it's what it can get you. Um, I, I, you know, I always say money is a, is a like sugar in that it will make you feel great for a minute. It'll kind of get you to your goals in the short term, but long-term it's not, it's not food. It's not, it's not something that's going to like nurture you. It just, it just fixes the symptoms in the moment. And, and that's fine especially you know when you are in money when you have money problems you you don't have a lot of money or you've got debt like i get it money is really the problem but it's once you get past that there has to be something that drives you beyond money i've talked to enough investors and i did just you know not too long ago in cancun there were some investors in that in our seven figure group that have really financially kind of hit their goals like they're really crushing it they're doing a great job and their next question is what's next like i have enough money and my debts are paid and I make a lot of money in my business. What's next? What, what do I what do I do? Why am I doing this? And some people will figure out what's next and they'll have something to strive for. And some people will sort of like level off. They'll kind of put it in, you know, cruise control and they'll keep running their business and it'll make nice money and they'll just maximize time with their family and that's all they want to do. So either either way is fine. Um, but if fear is stopping you, then whatever you're afraid of, whether it's your reputation, losing money, whatever, then that is more important to you than whatever it is, whatever your why is, whatever the reason is why you want to start the business. It has to be. And, and it's easily provable because for anybody out there who has kids or 
a loved one of any kind, if that loved one was in like life-threatening danger and you had to start a business to save their life, you would do it. You would just ignore all of your silly fears about starting a business and you would do it because the fear of losing that person is way more important than, than your fear of looking stupid, right? So that's the proof, right? If that's true, that scenario I just said, then all you have to do is come up with a reason that is deep inside of you, that's important to you, that makes you want to do this, and you have to tap into that. If you don't have that because you have no real reason, let's just say you have a job, you like it, you make good money, and you're pretty comfortable. And you don't have any like burning desire to get out of your job and you have enough money and you know your life's really, really good. You're happy. Like, but you think you want to start a business because you see all these people starting businesses and, and killing it, and all these YouTubers and whatever, house flippers. Like you see them doing it and you think you need to do it but you have no reason. Like you're happy and there's nothing driving you to do it. And so when it gets hard and it will get hard running a business, starting a business, scaling a business, it will get hard. When it does, you'll have nothing to tap into because you're happy. You're, you're content. You're comfortable. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but you have to know that. And if you're comfortable and you're content, the chance of you starting and, and scale, running, scaling, whatever, a business pretty bad. It's pretty low. It's probably not going to happen, to be honest. You, you, there has to be some kind of hardship there in within you, like something that's driving you. Um, some of us can get there by having something they aspire to that makes them happy to think about having without a lot of like, you know, deep, you know, like something that's negative that's making them do it. Like, you know, having missing all your kids' school functions makes you feel terrible. And so that could drive you to like, want to start your business and be in control of your time. But if like the thought of buying a Lamborghini, right? Maybe you love Lamborghinis. And so there's nothing wrong in your life. You just want a Lamborghini. I, I think that that fuel or that drive to get that Lamborghini for most people is not going to be sustainable when things get tough. It's, it's going to be, you can go, I don't need the Lamborghini. I, I'm fine with my car, right? So sometimes you need to find something inside of you that if you don't start the business, then there's something really, really, that's going to really, really, you know, be tough to deal with. And it could just be, you know, your job, like you hate it, like you hate getting up. It's stressful. It's affecting your health. Um, you hate Monday mornings with a passion. And like, that's a lot of people I know, but if that's strong enough, then, then you will get up and go to work so that you can, on your free time at night, on the weekends, on your lunch hour, you can start you know, building this business to get you out of there. So I, I tell people all the time, like, like, start coming up with your escape plan right away. If you're unhappy at work, like most people can't just quit their job. Most people can't just go in and say, I quit because they have responsibilities. And you know, a lot of times a family and kids and a house and cars and all these things and debt and credit cards, all this stuff, right? So you have to start planning your escape. If you guys ever watch uh, Shawshank Redemption, the movie, right? Uh, uh, Andy Dufresne started coming up with his escape plan. And he slowly but surely over a long period of time executed it. He didn't just try to break out in one day or like and just try something crazy. He, over a long period of time, came up with an escape plan and started executing it. You need to do the same thing in your job. Now, if you're young, it's easy. You have tons of time. You can do that, right? And if you're young, there's a good chance you don't make a ton of money anyway. So maybe you can just quit your job. But 
as you start getting responsibilities, you have to, you know, you have to address those. So that fear, like, you know, people who are starving are not afraid to try new food. You know, it's like, you're afraid because things aren't bad enough in your life that you have to actually go out there and try. So, so tap into whatever it is that you really want and use that as fuel. All right. I think I just gave the long answer only that time. Okay. Uh, let's see. Next question. Can you talk about what, uh, about what marketing methods you're using to uncover motivated sellers calling RVM techs, et cetera? Yeah. Um, here we go. And I see you got a Michigan state, um, uh, a Michigan state icon there for your, uh, for your picture. My daughter graduated from state. So go state. Um, yeah. So what do we use for, for marketing? So traditionally over the last five or six years, the main method for me finding motivated sellers and who we've bought the vast majority of our properties from in my company are uh, from direct mail postcards, specifically postcards. And I, I think I went over this pretty extensively in one of the last Q and A's a couple of weeks ago, but basically we use direct mail in our business because I, you know, in all the years I've been in real estate and I've been lucky enough to be around really several highly successful real estate investors. And most of them, I know because I talk to them like behind the scenes and like, you know, in just private conversations. And we talk about these things, obviously, like, where are you getting your leads? Most of the people that I know that have had significant success in real estate are using direct mail. That's where they're getting most of their deals. Now, there are exceptions. There are people who are getting all of the deals from pay-per-click or getting all their deals from texting or from driving for dollars. Definitely there's those, those stories out there. But most of the big investors that I know are using um, direct mail. And, and, and some of them are using letters because they work better where they are for whatever reason, or maybe their niche or whatever that they're marketing to or mailing to uh, responds better to letters. I use postcards. Most of the investors I know use postcards. like That's what they choose to use. And again, I, I went over this in huge, great detail a few weeks ago, but I'll, I'll give you the cliff notes of it. So the reason why postcards for me makes sense is direct mail is about timing. It's not necessarily about the quality of the message. Now, I'm not saying the quality of the message doesn't have to be good. You can't just send terrible mail out there and expect people to, to call you and love it. But the perfect letter will always be beat by the average postcard that hits the mailbox on the day that person needs to sell their house or realizes they need to sell their house always, right? So if you accept that premise and say, yes, I agree with you, the an average quality postcard that hits somebody on the day that they realize they have to sell their house for whatever reason, death, divorce, job loss, job transfer, downsizing, deferred maintenance, whatever the reason is, if it hits on the right day with a postcard, it'll always win over the letter that that came two weeks later or a month later or three months earlier. And because letters cost more than postcards, generally speaking, you know, all things being equal, a postcard is cheaper, usually by half or even you know, a third of the cost of a letter. That means if you have a budget for marketing, and most people do have a budget for their marketing, uh, for their company then you can send more letters than you can... I'm sorry, you can send more postcards than you can letters. So postcards win because of just the economics. You can send more for the same cost that you can send letters. So that's why we send postcards. If you're concerned people won't buy 
or won't sell you their house because you sent them a postcard and it doesn't seem professional, get that out of your head. You're wrong. They will 100% if it hits them when they have the need to sell their house. So that's why we use postcards. Um, we also do pay, and I'll say this too, in 2020, uh, during the, the year that COVID hit, we, we significantly... Uh, slowed down our postcards and at some point stopped altogether, stopped mailing postcards because there was just a, a really specific situation with COVID where where I am in Michigan, there was a huge scare about touching mail and could COVID be passed by touching a box or a letter or a postcard or whatever. And so we saw the effectiveness of our mail drop off significantly. And that speaks to you know, metrics and understanding what you're spending money on for marketing, what's working and tracking all that. We do track it. So we know what's working and what's not working. Um, but, but direct mail, the second best form of marketing that we have done in our company's history that's worked for us is Google AdWords, pay-per-click, right? Those, those things that come up when you type in sell my house fast, like the first three or four responses on Google, those are ads. Those are people pay to be in those positions. We do that. And that has brought us a lot of deals. Actually, last year in 2020, that brought us most of our deals. That's where we got them because people were at home, right? They were off work or whatever. They weren't traveling. So they were at home and some people, frankly, needed to sell their house. So they were typing in sell my house fast or how do I sell my house for cash or you know, whatever. So that's what works for us. Now, other things like driving for dollars, text blast, ringless voicemail, cold calling. We have done or are doing some or all of those in our business now. And those don't bring in the volume of deals that that direct mail and pay-per-click do, but we do them because it supplements, right? It's like, that's the slow trickle of deals that come into my company. And the steady stream is direct mail and, and um, pay-per-click. Those are those that bring, that's like the workhorse for our company. And like I said, it just trickles deals in here and there, all the other stuff. So I know people who run their entire business off of cold calling, for example, and, and it's great. It never has worked as well in our market. So it's not the main form of marketing for us, but we, we do do that. So direct mail and, um, and pay-per-click are the two, two ways that we do it mostly. Okay. Uh, looks like my screen froze a little bit. So while I'm waiting for that to come back, and if you guys can hear me and see me still, just say something. But my screen is froze. So I'm going to pick another question that came to me via uh, email this week. Um, <clears throat> okay. The next question that I was going to get to that came to me before is how long did it take for you to find out what work gave you purpose? I had to read this question a couple of times because I didn't understand, but now I do. Um, how long did it take for you to find out what work gave you purpose? Easy. Um, and it changed over, over time. There was a time when my nine to five, when I enjoyed it, I thought I, I, I liked it and I thought I was going to stay there forever. But I realized after a few years that I really didn't love it because how do I know I didn't love it? I hated going to work. I hated getting up. Sundays were hard to enjoy because I knew the next day I had to go to work. Right. So I started realizing that a nine to five job wasn't a great fit for me. Uh, but the, the, the way that I really knew it, was I started real estate investing. I bought my first house and I flipped it. And that process and that feeling of going through that process and flipping a house and making profit, it was a lot like, I tell people this all the time, and I've said this in, in, in when people have asked me in interviews, it felt a lot like when you're underwater and you can't breathe. And then when you come out 
you, you break the surface of the water and you get that oxygen, like that feeling of like, oh my gosh, this feels great. Like that's how I felt when I started investing in real estate. So I didn't know for sure what gave me purpose until I did something that gave me purpose. You know what I mean? Like it's almost like you have to find it. Sometimes you you find it, you know, incidentally, and sometimes you you search for it. But um, I didn't know real estate was going to give me that much um, pleasure or purpose, but it did. And once I realized, like when I got out on my own and started having to hunt what I was going to eat to use that metaphor, like to have that, that freedom of like, oh, I can be in charge of, of me. Like I can be in charge of my future. I can be in charge of my financial situation. I can be in charge of how much I work, when I go to work, when I work, when, when I don't work and I can start calling the shots. Like that was when I realized what my purpose was. I didn't realize that at times I was a bad employee because I was argumentative sometimes with my, with my managers or I wanted them to do it my way and they wanted to do it their way. So I had the traits of an entrepreneur and I was stuck in a cubicle. And, and if you feel that way, it's, it's possible that, that, that your purpose is to get out of there and be an entrepreneur. So I think until you do, until you get in the environment that you were meant to be in, you don't always know that you're not in it, if that makes any sense. So I had to get in the environment to know this is where I belong. Um, I was interviewing uh, Gina Wickman, who is the author of Traction. Uh, and he's really recently written a new book called, what is it called? The Entrepreneurial Leap. Uh, interviewed him. And the analogy I made with him and, and he said was a, was a good one for, for what he was trying to explain in his book was, it's kind of like taking a kid that's a piano, a piano prodigy. They don't know it, right? They, that's why they're a prodigy. They sit in front of the piano and they start playing. They didn't even know what a piano was. They didn't realize that was an option until you put them in front of it and they start playing and they love it and they're great at it. And they're just a natural, right? That's sometimes what happens, I think, with entrepreneurs. They don't even know it. They just have to be put in that environment. And then they go, oh my gosh, this is for me. So that, that's really how it, how it worked for me. Um, all right. I got everybody back here. Um, uh, you're good. Okay, cool. So I'm going to read the next one that came to me via email. Um, Okay, I'm about to launch my new business. What is one tip you can give me? Okay, without knowing the business, which is actually good. I'm, I'm glad you're not specific or they weren't specific about the business because I think sometimes people get caught up in like, well, my industry, this is how it's like, yes, there are nuances and there are specific industries that have specific things that, that pertain to them. But in general, when you're starting a business, business principles really, I think are, are cross-platform. They're cross-industry. That's why, um, you know, like the E-Myth revisited that book uh, is such a great book. It doesn't talk about necessarily like, oh, this book is for this industry. It's just great, great knowledge for anybody who's starting or running a business. And so what's the one, um, what's the one tip I can give you on starting your business? I would say the one tip I can give you, it's hard for me to give one. That's why I'm hesitating because there's about 10 things that are running through my head. But I know that I know what stops people from being successful. That two things that, that stop people from being from starting a business. And then once they start it, the thing that keeps them from being successful in their business, why do businesses fail? Kind of a thing. What stops people from starting their business usually is they don't have a good enough why. We talked about it earlier in this in this Q&A. They don't know why they're doing it. They don't 
they're not, they've never stopped to think about why they must start the business, why it must be successful. If you can discover or uncover inside of you why the business must be successful, why it must get started. If you can come up with those reasons and, and you can attach that kind of language to it, like I must start my business because of blank. And you can fill in that blank and you believe it a hundred percent in your heart, that that's what you need. Okay. And it's that's a little bit more of like that's there's less substance maybe to that answer than what you want. But I'll, I'll give you a little bit more of a practical thing that you the, of advice that I would give you once you start your business. I think a lot of people fail because they don't know their numbers. They they're not you're not tracking anything. You don't know how much money you're spending on marketing. You don't know how much revenue you're making. You don't know how much net profit you're making. You don't know how much you're paying people. Like knowing those numbers, knowing your financial numbers, and and your your um. Uh, the numbers that, that 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 you used to run your business, like the operations numbers, I was searching for in my head just now, operational numbers and financial numbers, you don't know. The other thing is they wait too long to hire and they hire the wrong people. When you're hiring, you need, in my opinion, through trial and error and years of doing it poorly and watching other people do it poorly and do it well and, and myself doing it well, you really need to hire people who have the same values as you and your company and the other employees. Like if you hire someone who's a good value fit with you and also has the skill set to do the job you need them to do, that's the person who will help you more than the person who maybe has the awesome resume, like the awesome experience, but maybe not the greatest value fit. Right, you're hiring them because they're a rock star in what they do, and I've done this too. I hired a rock star in my company to do a specific thing that she was awesome at. She was great at that thing, always, but she was a bad value fit. She had her values were just not in line with mine or anybody else in the company. Um, she was a bit of a bad egg, and she started to kind of poison the pond, and people were threatening to quit good people, people who I value quite a bit were going to quit. And it, and this person who was a rock star, but a bad value fit was really good at her job. And so me as an owner, I, I struggled with letting her go because I knew that when I let her go, while it would make everybody happy, which is what I should have been concerned about. I also knew that production would drop. Even if we replaced her with somebody really good, she was awesome. She was probably the, the best I've ever seen do it. And, and I, so I, I held on to her too long because I was afraid of losing the production and losing that rock star experience. Um, but it, it almost costed me everybody else in the company. So I think you asked me for one thing, get a strong why that, that compels you to do it even when times are bad. Know your numbers and hire great people. Who are a great culture fit and a great value fit. Like if you just do those three things, like you're well off to to go and start a business. I think. Okay, uh, let's see. Mm -mm -mm. Go green, quite yeah. I also had, a, had a, another uh, child that graduated from U of M, so I'm conflicted here. We got you know two two uh, universities within Michigan that are bitter rivals, and I had kids go to both. Um, let's see. Another question, tenants uh, here in the chat, tenants scare me 
and it's keeping me from moving forward with buying rentals, what can I do? It's a good question. Um, This is what scares most people from buying rentals, by the way. If somebody wants a rental portfolio and they want that passive income, and maybe they have a W-2 that they don't want to leave, they know they don't want to leave it, right? And but they want that they want that real estate like generational wealth. They want to be able to create this rental portfolio that will someday allow them to retire and be comfortable and maybe something they could pass on to their kids, but they're afraid of tenants. They're afraid of, you know, leaky faucets and and toilets that you know are going bad and roofs that leak, like, or just tenants destroying their house and being like drama, right? That can happen. But if you're afraid of tenants, if that's what your thing is, but you really want to do rentals, then there's two ways that you can kind of solve that or alleviate that issue. Number one is if you're going to self-manage the properties, make sure that you screen really thoroughly, come up with a criteria and don't deviate. Don't give in because you just want to get it rented. So, you know, typically I want someone who has you know, a credit of whatever you want or income level of whatever it is that you decided is appropriate. But, you know, it goes vacant for a month and and you're, you're just desperate to get somebody in there and you let them in regardless of some, maybe some of these criteria that you set. I know way too many landlords who have told me I just wanted to get it rented. Like I rented it to them because I just wanted it rented. I did not want it being vacant for another month. And I get that. But Waiting another month and getting a great tenant who's going to stay for three, four, five years and be on time with their rent and they're just really good people, like that's always going to be a better route than trying to save that one month of rent by just throwing somebody in there who agrees to pay the rent, right? Um, it almost always ends up poorly when you do that. So if you're afraid of tenants screening and being very, very picky about who you let into your rentals is one way to do it. The second way is hire a property management company and you know they'll deal with the tenants. Like They'll screen them. If it's a good one, they'll screen them really, really well. And they'll only let highly, highly qualified people in your rentals. And if there is anything to be done or the tenant starts to become a pain in the butt, they deal with it, right? You pay that property management company to deal with some of that drama and some of that, you know, those phone calls. So those are two ways that you can really go a long way to not having to deal with too many tenant problems. Uh, You should always screen really, really well. But if you have a property management company who screens really, really well, and they handle all the phone calls and all the little things that come up here and there, like that kind of takes the tenant worry off your your plate, I think. Okay. Let me pull another question that I got during the week. I'm trying to, I skipped around, so I got to find out where I'm at here. Got that one. Got that one. Got that one. Got that one. Okay. All right. So I don't know. I'm going to look. Okay. So another question that I got was, it was about rentals also. So it's like, we're talking about rentals and multifamily here this week. I'm afraid to buy rentals in this market. Should I buy them anyway or wait until the market crashes? (laughs) It's a loaded question you're assuming the market is going to crash and it might. Oh, I just lost video. Can everyone, still, if you guys can see me, let me know. Cause I think I, I lost people. Uh, let's see. Okay. I'm going to plow ahead. Cause I think it might just be me possibly. Okay. I'm going to keep going. I think, I think it's just my screen, but I'm waiting to see here if people can see me. Okay. All right. So the question was, this person's afraid to buy rentals because the market's hot. Okay, the market's hot. 
um, rental prices or just house prices in general are high. And should they buy them now or wait till the market crashes? Is interesting because I think over the last several months, people's opinions of what's happening in the market and what's going to happen have shifted a little bit. Uh, I, I, I talked to a lot of smart people last year at this time who thought that by now the market would have totally tanked and totally crashed. Um, but you know, the government keeps sending us stimulus checks. They keep extending out like some of the foreclosure, uh, foreclosure, um, you know, rules that are keeping people from losing their houses, uh, more people in forbearance, um, you know, landlords are not able to evict people as, as easily for not paying. So, you know, people thought it was going to crash before now, but the question is, should I buy now or wait for the market to crash? The answer is nobody knows for sure the market's going to crash. I said on my podcast many times that I was pretty doggone sure the market's going to crash. I didn't know exactly when. I thought it would be now-ish, maybe. Now or within the next three or four months, we'd start seeing that. It's not really happening because you know we, we can't predict necessarily how the government is going to react and how much support they're going to give to people. <clears throat> so I don't know the market's going to crash. right? If you listen to people like Dave Ramsey and some of these folks online, some, some people think the market's not going to crash, like period. It's just not going to happen. It may level off, but it may keep going up. Like, like it may not get any, the prices may not go lower than they are now. And, and because we don't know, <clears throat> and because I'm a huge fan of getting your butt in gear and going and doing things, I say, don't wait for it to crash because number one, it might not ever crash. Okay. So now you never get in the game. You never buy these rentals. And by the way, it, they're going to be more expensive in five years, probably no matter what. I, I doubt it's going to crash like it did in 08, where it took, you know, almost a decade for them to get back in line or, you know, seven, eight years. If it levels off, that's different than crashing. And it and it probably will level off. That's that's just my opinion. I think it's going to level off. I think it's going to dip. It's just not going to probably hardcore crash. Um, but I don't know. Uh, but I say. I say get in now. If you have the money, the finances behind you to, to buy 100 rental properties like this year, maybe I would tap the brakes on that because that's a lot. Um, but if you're going to buy one or two, three, four, five, you know, 10 the most like this year, like I think that's fine. Especially if you're going to say, I'm going to buy more in the future too, then, then by all means, go out there and do it. We don't know if the market's going to crash. You can't base your decisions about how to live your life off of things that no one knows how it's going to turn out, right? We don't know when we get in our car, if we're going to get in an accident when we drive to the store. So it's like, do I get in the car or do I wait until there's no traffic on the road? Like, I don't know. Like you, you don't know you're going to crash. So get in the car and go get the groceries. If you want them, go get them now. Um, and there may be people on the road later tonight, right? There probably will be. So waiting until later, to where there's nobody on the road, it probably may not happen. There could be people on the road, right? To use that analogy. So short answer after my long one, um, go out there and start buying rentals now, right? Don't overpay. Like don't get into some bidding war where it doesn't make sense because when you're buying rentals, <clears throat> there's a formula, right? You have to like look at what you're spending for the house, what you're spending on renovation, what the taxes, insurance, and what the assumed vacancy is going to be. And any payment, any like lender payments or interest or whatever you have to pay, you take all those factors and then look at your rent. And if you're still cash flow positive after taking into account taxes, insurance, vacancies, maintenance, um, lender payments, if you if all those combined are still like less than what you're getting for rent, 
and and you're making a, a certain amount a month that makes you happy, if it's if it's what your your goals are, then buy it, right? Why wait? Why wait? So in a lot of areas of the country, and I don't know where everyone's listening from, but in a lot of areas of the country, a hundred dollars a door is fairly standard, right? There are areas where you can get significantly more. I get that. But if you're in that one to two hundred dollars a door, that's generally considered pretty good, like not bad, like it's worth doing, right? So if where the prices are now, if you look at a house, you evaluate it, and your goal was to make, let's just say, two hundred dollars for rent, cash flow, positive cash flow, and you find a house and it makes two hundred cash flow, like what are you waiting for? Buy it. But if there's no houses that you can find where you can make positive cash flow. Then don't buy, right? Buy when you something have a formula, have a criteria. When you find a property that meets that criteria, don't question it. Buy it, get it. Whether you're in an up market, a down market, incline, decline, doesn't matter. Buy it when it hits your criteria, right? That's that's my advice. <clears throat> Matthews in Louisiana. Um, even in Louisiana, I would follow my advice, right? Buy when the house meets your criteria. Don't worry about the market. Don't worry about what people tell you. When I got into real estate, oh, wait, guess what people were telling me? Run for the hills, get out of real estate. Like, never buy, like, this is awful. The, the sky is falling. Real estate is bad. Don't touch it. Right. That's when I was running in. Like, I was running in as the proverbial house was burning, and that was the right thing to do. So, don't necessarily worry about what people on TV are saying or on YouTube or whatever. Like, have, Whatever, decide what is acceptable to you. And when you find a property that is it, it meets that level of, of acceptability, then, then do it. Go for it, you know, and keep keep doing it. So, all right, guys, that is all the questions that I had uh, from this week. That is all the questions I see in the chat. And frankly, my my screen just went black. So I think once again, I lost my own video, but I think you guys can still hear me because it keeps kind of coming back. So. Um, I don't have any other questions. If this doesn't unfreeze in the next 30 seconds, then I'm going to call it an evening. But guys, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. I'm having a lot of fun. Hopefully it's informative. Hopefully you guys are getting something out of it. Um, like I said, please continue to send questions to me. You can email me at mike at juststartrealestate.com. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, most In most places, my username is at Mike S. Simmons. So uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, all these places you can find me, or you can just send me an email if you want. Uh, and I will answer your questions. I will also answer them as uh, as they come in through through the chat like I do. Uh, but ask me, ask away, right? This is why I'm doing it so I can help and get questions answered for you guys. I am here every single Wednesday <clears throat> from 7 uh, p.m. Eastern time and 4 p.m. Pacific. And usually we're on here for about an hour or so. And we do have the, uh, we have the replays. You can, you can log on or check out my, my page at Just Start Real Estate and check out the replays. Um, but yeah, send me your questions. I enjoy doing this. I like talking to you guys. So until next week, get out there and get it done. Make it happen. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.